Tonight we're starting a new series called Origins. Now, origins can mean a lot of different things, right? And it could look at, especially when we're looking at scripture, we could look at a lot of different items um, and their origins, right? Like when, whenever you just hear origins and you hear scripture, it can mean just a ton of different things. However, what we're, what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks is the origins of three words that are fundamental to Christianity. So the origin of these three words. And we're not just going to look like if I told you we were going to look at the origin of a word. Like, I don't know if you guys ever get like so bored that you watch the spelling bees on like ESPN or whatever. Like sometimes, but you, they always are like spell kerfuffled. And the person's like, can I have the country of origin, please? I'm like, how does that help you spell it? I can't spell like dog half the time. So I don't understand how these people can spell these ridiculous words. But I've always wondered how, I'm sure it's something with like how certain countries spell things, but whatever. But when I say we're looking at the origin of words, I could be saying that we're looking at the definition, where they came from, what they mean. Like there's so many things I could mean when I say we're looking at the origin of these words. And we're not just going to be looking at like the definition or where these words come from or anything, but we're, we're rather going to look at, and this is where this idea of origin comes from. We're going to look at the first recorded use of these three words in scripture. Okay. So we're going to find these three words in scripture. The first time that they are used in scripture. And I'll tell you exactly why we're going to do this. <clears throat> the Israelites with the Hebrew language that uh, the Old Testament was originally written in, they had this idea that they called the rule of first use. And the rule of first use was this idea that God in his sovereign wisdom gives us words at a particular point in a person's encounter with him that anytime we see this word, a word introduced into scripture for the first time, it sets the tone for how this word is to be used for the rest of the Bible. And so what we're going to look at over the next three weeks is these three words. I'm not going to tell you what they are. A little suspense. Keep you guys coming back. Okay, I'm going to tell you what today's is, obviously. But, um, but we're going to look at these three words and we're going to look at the rule of first of them. We're going to look at the first time it's used in scripture, what it meant then, what it meant throughout the rest of scripture, and what it means to us today. So um, we're going to really kind of dissect the origin of these words and evaluate them in, in as de deep of a way as we possibly can uh, tonight. So you guys want to know what the first word is? Yes. No? Okay, I won't tell you. Yes. Someone said no. I'm not doing it. Okay. So tonight, our first word is love. Okay. And, and, and this, is, this shouldn't be shocking to you guys. Uh, I say this literally every time I teach on love or talk about love is I, I love love. Okay. <laughs> like that sounds weird. But I love talking about love. It is something that is foundational in Christianity. It's something that, that literally is the, the foundation of of what Christianity should be founded on. It's the love of God for his people and the love of his people for God, right? It is, it's a foundational piece of what Christianity is. 
So I know that we've looked at this word a lot lately. What came to mind whenever I came across this word love was if you were here for our last series right before the rush events, we had a series called... Yeah, thank you guys. Say what? Okay, say what? Um, Yeah, I know that was like forever ago, like a whole month. Um, So... So what we did was we looked at questions that you guys had and we tried to answer them to the best of our uh, I tried to answer them to the best of my ability your questions and literally the last lesson that we taught was one called how do you love the unlovable and so we really dove into all the different Ideas of love, like we talked about how the Greeks had all these different words for love. We looked at agape, right, which was the most severe form of love, I guess. You know, like the, the, the most extreme type of love that, that God has for his people. <clears throat> and we, we, we not only dove into that, but then right after that, Aaron jumped into a series called uh, The Power of Love. Right in on Sunday mornings, where he dove into First Corinthians thirteen and talked all about love. <clears throat> so we've been looking at this word love a lot, but tonight I really, really, really want to look at the origin of this word love. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to guess real quick. Put this away. Like distracting me. I are like I can't focus already enough. I don't need that in the corner of my eye. Um, so I'm going to give you guys a chance to guess. Where do you think the word love is first used in the Bible? Egyptians. Genesis. 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 How many of you guys think Genesis? Genesis means beginnings. So how many of you guys want to guess Genesis? Okay, if you guess Genesis, you're right. Okay, it's in Genesis, okay? Genesis is a long book. If you've never read it, it's 50 chapters. So it's like crazy long. And if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to it, like literally open the front cover and you're there. Okay, so so how many of you, how many of you guys... Okay, so we know it's in Genesis. Anyone want to guess what chapter? There's 50 chapters in Genesis. One? How many of you guys say it's in chapter one? Okay. How about chapter 2? Chapter 3? Chapter 4? How many of you think it's past chapter 5? I don't see it in one. Chapter 10? Past chapter 10? No. Past chapter 15? I think you're lying. Past chapter 20? 50? The last chapter of Genesis? All right. Hey, you guys can go ahead and turn there right now. It's actually Genesis 22. Okay? Do not read ahead. Do not read ahead of me, okay? But it's in Genesis 22. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Genesis 22 tonight. <clears throat> okay? All right? Yeah, it's, it's not hard to find. It's like in the first, or, it's like in the second verse. Okay, listen. Hey. Guys, seriously, I need all of your attention up here. I realize it's been a few weeks since we've been in here. But let's focus, okay? A lot of chit-chat. A lot of crazy stuff going on. Let's focus, okay? Okay. Shh. Don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. We're going to be in... So tonight we're going to be in Genesis 22. If you're looking for the word love and you just absolutely can't not read ahead, it's in chapter, It's in verse 2. So it's not that far in. But don't read ahead of me because I want to go through this together. 
And we're going to read, we're going to read most of chapter 22 because we need to really understand the, the context of what this word love is used in chapter 22. But before we read that and try to understand it, we need to understand the, the, the full context of this story. Okay, so if, if you have read ahead a little bit in 22, because I can see all of you guys and you're all clearly reading ahead, even though I've told you not to. I'm not stupid. Um, if you guys are all like this, blah, 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 I, I know you're reading ahead. Okay, so listen, listen. So if you've already read ahead, you already know that chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22 is about Abraham being called to sacrifice his son Isaac. Okay, and so we're going to be looking at this story tonight. But before we can really dive into that story, we need to understand the context that this story comes in. So if you want to rewind back a few pages to Genesis 17, uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read it to you. So if you don't want to turn there, you don't have to. Uh, but starting in Genesis 17, this is what it says: When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will conform my covenant, confirm my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make you, uh, sorry guys, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. So we know, obviously, Abraham, okay? But before he was Abraham, he was Abram, okay? We, we read that there. So God appears to Abram, and he tells him that he will be the father of great nations, and he wants to make a covenant with them, right? And we, we can understand just by reading this context what a covenant is, right? It's basically a promise or a deal, like a contract, okay? So, so God's like, hey, I want to make a deal with you. I will give you, I, I will allow you to be the father of this great nation and all these people. And in return, you will make sure that your people honor me as the one true God. Right? Pretty, pretty simple deal. So we read ahead to verses 15 through 19. And it says, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer, she will no longer be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man of a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said uh, to God, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, if Ishmael might live under your blessing, uh, skipping to verse 21. Oh, it says, 19 says, then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Skipping to 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by a great nation or by this time next year. So we see that this is now this is not news that Abraham was expecting. Right. Like, in fact, I, I don't know about you guys. But I would be very afraid to like fall on my face and laugh at God. 
Just saying. Like, that seems a little bold for Abraham to be like, like literally falling on the ground laughing at something God just told him. But this was shocking news to him, right? He's 99 years old at the time. His wife's 89. We, we can do a little math there, okay? And he says, this doesn't seem possible that I'm at the end of my life and God is telling me that I'm about to become the father of this great nation. Didn't he live like 400? And no, this was after Noah's Ark. That was when life expectancies went down. So this didn't seem possible to him. One, because he was very old, right? It didn't seem possible that he could have a child with Sarah. And two, because he and Sarah had tried to have a child their entire life and they were unable to do that. Okay, so, so for two reasons here, this is shocking news to him. But he had always wanted to have children with Sarah, and they were never able to. So he enters this covenant with God, and we see that later that year, Sarah gives birth to his son, Isaac. Now, as you can imagine, Abraham loved Isaac in a way that we have yet to see in Scripture. Okay, like we've talked, if you read the first 20 Chapters of Genesis, um, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of God's creation rebelling against him. There's Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden. There's Cain killing his brother Abel. There's the, the great flood and Noah's Ark. All these things happen. Okay, We have yet to see a love in the way that Abraham now loves Isaac. The son that he had with the wife that he wanted to have children with. You saw in there it said Ishmael. That was a, a son that he had with a, a servant. A different time, guys. So not that weird for them back then. But he had a different child with a, serv- a maid servant because he was unable to have a child with Sarah. And so Ishmael was kind of like the son that he always wanted but couldn't actually have kind of thing. And so, But Isaac was... The son that he loved. The love he had for Isaac was different than anything we had seen in scripture before. Not only because Isaac was this son that that he wanted with Sarah. But also Isaac, it says, was the covenant between him and God. Right? That was the deal. Like Isaac was the signature on that covenant. So so Isaac is this son that he's always wanted. He's the essential piece of the covenant that, that... ties him to the one true God to make Abraham the father of a great nation devoted to loving and serving God. And how do we know for sure, if all that isn't proof enough, how do we know that his love for Isaac was different? God chooses to use a new word that had never been used in scripture up until then. This word love. This word love being used for the first time here signifies a, a, an emotional feeling, a, a, a sacrificial, all-out kind of tie to someone that is unsurpassed by anything else in human creation. We need to take a second to really understand the gravity Of God choosing to use this word love to describe Abraham's relationship to Isaac. 
It's not an accident that this is the first place that the word love is used in Scripture is in Genesis 22. And if you're still there, we're going to read Genesis 22 right now when that word is used for the first time. Starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to me on the mountains I will tell you about. This this moment, this moment right here, guys, I, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've thought about this moment in my own life. Like, obviously, I, I've read the Bible, I study it, and I read this passage, and, and for you guys sitting out there, and I remember hearing this whenever I was a teenager, it's crazy to think about. But when I think about it in a different context, when I think about it as a parent, guys, and I think I've told you guys this before, I wanted to be a dad since I was a kid. Like, I've always wanted to be a dad. And I love it. And I love my kids more than anything in this world. And if God turned around and told me that not only was he taking my kid away, but that I had to do it myself... I've thought about this so much. What would I do? How would I act? Because I know how much I love my children. And we know that Isaac was not just another child to Abraham. He was the chosen one. He was a special child. He was the child of the covenant. He was the child that was dedicated and designed to make Abraham the father of nations. The symbol of a lasting covenant between God and his people. The only way for Abraham to be the promised father of a mighty nation. This was not just some sort of ho-hum father-son relationship. This was an unconditional, fully sacrificial type of love where Abraham would go above and beyond and do whatever it took to keep Isaac safe. And God tells Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice back to God. Guys, I, I'd be so angry. I'm just telling you right now, I'd be so stubborn and disobedient to God in this moment. Like that, that's horrible of me to say, but I'm just being realistic with you guys. I, I, I can't even... I can't even begin to describe the, the emotional stress that just thinking about being in this situation puts on me. But I know one thing's for sure. I would, I would everything inside of me, everything that of my being would desire to rebel against God in this moment. Just sitting there going, God, why would you take away something that you know that I love so very much? Something that was promised to me by you. I can't even begin to think about it. But then I look at Abraham's response. There's no bartering with God. There's no discussion with God. 
Verse 3, it just says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried himself the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to father Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I can't even begin to think if my kid asked me that, like knowing what we were walking up to go do. Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Guys, this is an amazing story. Like, if you've never heard this story before, I would challenge you to go back and read it again. And even if you have heard it before, go back and read it again. There's so much in this story that we could do a whole series on this story alone. It's an amazing story about obedience of Abraham, the faithfulness of God. But all this in this story, it hinges on the importance of this one word, love. And it being used to describe Abraham's relationship with Isaac. Guys, if we don't have this word love here, the story means nothing. If we don't have this unconditional, unprecedented type of emotional relationship, we don't have Abraham doing the one thing that he doesn't want to do. And we don't have God providing the one thing that could replace Isaac in that moment. We don't have the same importance of this story without this word love. So how does this word love not only impact the story, but impact the rest of scripture as we look forward? I want you to think for a second. There were a few times that it said this phrase, and it said this second phrase that I'm going to say. And I want you to think about any other time in scripture you've ever heard words like, your only son and who you so love. John 3.16. 
Guys, God choosing to place this word love for the first time in this story of sacrificing an only son is a direct foreshadowing to the sacrifice of God's only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for your sins. It is the exact same story centuries prior. The use of love is a demonstration not only for the love that Abraham had for Isaac, but also for the love that God had for his son, Jesus. And how hard it was for him to sacrifice his son, Jesus. Scripture said that in that moment when Jesus was crucified, that God had to turn his head But this use of love shows the level of love that not only God has for Jesus, but that God has for each and every one of you, that he would sacrifice his only son for you. We see the level of commitment, the level of love that Abraham had for God, that he's willing to sacrifice his son for God. The level of love that God has for each and every one of you is that he would sacrifice his one and only son for you. And if you don't believe me, if that's not convincing enough to you that this story is a direct parallel to the story of Jesus, the one and only son, it's mentioned multiple times in there that you can't deny that. I look at the fact that how many days did they walk? To get to the place of the sacrifice. Three. Same number of days that Jesus was dead and buried. Who carried the wood up to the sacrifice place? Isaac. Jesus carried his own cross to his own crucifixion. Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide the lamb. But what does God provide? A ram. Why does Abraham say God will provide a lamb, but yet he provides a ram? That may seem like a minor thing. The lamb that Abraham promises that God will provide is declared by John the Baptist in John 1.29 when he says, Behold the lamb of God the first time he sees Jesus. The lamb that is promised by Abraham in Genesis centuries before Jesus is born is Jesus Christ himself. When Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, he's not talking to replace Isaac, he's talking to replace each and every one of us for our sins and our transgressions against God. Guys, the story of Abraham and Isaac is the story of God and Jesus played out by humans. The love that the Bible establishes as the greatest love ever seen in human history between Abraham and Isaac is the same love that God has for his only son, Jesus Christ. And yet he was willing to sacrifice him on our behalf so that we can spend eternity with God in heaven. Meaning that the love that God has for each and every one of us is at worst equal to the greatest love that has ever existed on the face of this earth. And let me tell you right now, it's not just equal, it's greater than that. God loves us more than we can ever imagine. And he wants to have a personal relationship with each 
and every one of us. And if you're sitting here tonight and you have never experienced this transformational love of God, man, tonight I pray that that would be revealed to you for the first time through the story of Abraham and Isaac. Because the love of Abraham and Isaac is not just some Old Testament story that sounds kind of crazy and cool. It's a real life example of what God did for you so that you can spend eternity in heaven with him. I'm going to pray for you guys and then we're going to be dismissed. If you raised your hand tonight, please come talk to me, please. Because we need to make sure that you understand that your relationship with God is on track tonight. God, thank you so much for these students. I thank you for their hearts to learn your word, to be here tonight. And God, most of all, I thank you for the love that you have for each and every one of us. I thank you that this love is so eloquently spelled out in this story of Abraham and Isaac that we can see exactly the love that you have for us through that relationship. God, and I pray that you would help us all to understand this level of love and this level of responsibility that we have to you because of how much you love us. God, I pray that you would give us all strength and courage to go about our lives demonstrating the love that you show us to those in our lives, God. And I pray that you would give us a burden and a passion to reach out to others, to show them this love, and to allow them to see the love that you have for everyone. God, we praise you tonight for who you are and the love that you show all of us. I pray that you would just help us to go from here to do your work in our communities, in our cities, in our state, in our country, in our world, God. Please give us the strength, give us the boldness, give us the opportunity. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.